Welcome to the Self-Fellowship Church Podcast. Here at Self-Fellowship, we exist to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Good morning, friends. How are you doing? Thank you. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Alex. Appreciate that. Uh, so we are going to jump into this in a second, but first I have to give you an insight into the weird workings of how my brain is and everything. Uh, so I uh, was up with Jude a little last night, and, and so we have this practice, my wife and I, that whoever gets up with him uh, during the night gets to sleep during the morning. Now, that's a little more difficult on Sunday morning, obviously, and so I said to Laura as she got up with Jude at about 5.30 or whatever crazy time he gets up, uh, wake me up at, at about 6.45. Uh, but then I had to trust that she was going to do it. For some reason, my mind didn't trust that she was going to do it. And you know how your mind goes in these weird circles? So during that last sort of hour, my dream was this, uh, that I was late for church by about 15 minutes, and I was trying to figure out whether I could still make it in time to, to do the sermon or whether they'd just have to have figured out a plan. Um, and then when I got there, uh, Aaron, our worship pastor, had decided that he was moving the service to a swimming pool. Um, <laughs> so all of you guys were in bathing suits in the water uh, while I was preaching. Uh, and then Teresa, our communications director, she gave me one of these clicker things that didn't work. And then when it did work, it was all slides that I hadn't prepped for. So something deep inside me said that everything was going to go bad this morning. So I was relieved to get here this morning and find you all as suitably attired for church. Thank you for doing that. Uh, continue on that journey. It's healthy for all of us. No bathing suits allowed. This is not Southern California. Um, and so we're going to jump into the series that we've been walking through. Hindsight is 2020. How do you take a year like 2020 and learn some principles that you can put into place that help us in 2021? For, 20, for many of us, 2020 was a difficult year. We were still processing some of that. And yet there's something about being in difficult circumstances that as we follow this journey, we're going to see they actually are good for us, maybe even challenge us, maybe they even spark growth in us. And as we've been doing that, we've been following through this letter that Paul wrote to the, the church in a place called Philippi. So to catch you up, if you haven't been here, the P is Philippi. It's this uh, small city in what is now modern-day Greece. And Paul, uh, maybe our hero, our writer, our author, he sent this letter from prison. This has not been a great year from him. He's in one of these X's. This is a town called Caesarea over here on, on the right. There's a town over here called Ephesus. And all the way over there in Italy is, is Rome. And he's in one of those locations, locked down, shut away from his friends, worrying about a church that he hasn't seen in years. He's trying to figure out, well, what is next for this church? But overall, he has this incredible theme. Because of God's good grace, we can choose joy at all times. In the midst of these weird circumstances, there is still joy to be found in this letter to the Philippians. It is the letter of joy. So I'm going to read a passage, uh, the next passage, and I'm going to leave those up there for a second and, and realize that I left my Bible down here. So I'm going to take a, a slow walk of shame to pick my Bible up and come back to you. So we're going to read today from Philippians chapter 3. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Church joke for you there, a little church riff for those of you that aren't here. So here we go, we're going to start in verse 10. I want to know Christ. 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make it clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. Let's pray together. God, as we spend time together as a community, teach us. For those of us that need comfort, give us comfort. For those of us that need afflicting and and, and to get moving, move us on our journey. Thank you that you're present with us as we learn together. Thank you for this book that is alive. As we read it, may we become alive in new ways. Amen. So if you needed to get a picture, you had your chance. This is where we're going during the course of the day. It'll be on social media during the week if you want to do some reading. And we said over this next two weeks, we're going to look at some of the ways that we can do what Jesus seems to ask us to do in this parable that we read last week, this parable of these three servants who are each given some resources to invest. The parable uses the word talents. Uh, And that kind of makes us think as English people about the idea of like our giftings. But really a talent was was money. And and the truth is, as is often the case with Jesus' parables, it's not about either of them. It's about everything. We talked about how this parable really is about how you use resources. You've been given these resources of time, of wealth, of energy, of gifting. And the ask for each of us is that we use them in a way that that takes us closer into the heart of God, that that makes the world a better place. And and it seems to suggest in this parable that God says, like, this is what I'm going to hold you accountable for. You've been given these things. What? Did you do with them? And so we talked last week about how we can bring those incredible resources we have and we can choose to be part of a community. Time, talent, energy, and wealth. We are able to choose to gather and gathering is great regardless. Community is important. I got to chat to a couple of you afterwards that just said, I need community. We have things like Celebrate Recovery that that provide community for people coming out of addictions and things. And and there's this wonderful joy in community. And then there's a joy in faith community or a magic in faith community. But we looked at this idea that the the goal is Jesus-centered community. There's something about what happens when Jesus is at the center of things, that he changes hearts and he gives us a completely different attitude towards each other. We're unable to put the we before the me when we follow Jesus-centered community. And today we're going to move on to something else. But Paul, I wanted to catch you up because we can't cover every part of Philippians. Uh, And so Paul has just gone from last week where he talked about community to the passage this week. I want to just give you a quick little, little blurb on where he's gone. Because he's started to talk about how Jewish he is. He started to talk about how he is the Jew of Jews. If anyone has a right to boast in their heritage, he has a right to boast. He's done everything right. He, his family followed all the right traditions and everything. He follows all the laws. He's a Jew of Jews. And I understand that because I was told growing up that I was English, 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 English. So for those of you that have seen Downton Abbey, there's those magical moments where someone who isn't rich and isn't aristocracy, uh, they, they suddenly find out they're about to inherit a great castle. And my grandma told me for years that this was our castle. Maybe not in practice, 
but in principle. Back through the family history, the genealogy, like the, there's this castle, Raby Castle, and, and the Bulmers, her family, they belong in this castle. Now, I promise you this, if it ever happens, if I ever get the call, I'll take you guys with me. We'll do the journey together. I won't leave you behind. And, you know, and, and, and this is, this is the, the thing that we were told. We were told, you guys, you're English, 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 English. This is your heritage. It goes back and back and back and back and back. And this is what Paul says about his Jewishness. If anyone has a right to boast on their heritage, Paul says, I have a right to boast. And where he gets to this passage is he says, but I decided it doesn't matter. I don't care. It's not worth anything. What I've decided is all of that I was willing to lay down because my goal now is to know Jesus. And this is where he, is, this is where he gets to this passage that we just read. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, Philippians 3, chapter 10. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. On the surface, Paul is talking about, he's just talking about growth. If you were to build this list that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, we've talked about living in gratitude as week one. We talked about choosing to gather in community. And now Paul's going to move into this territory of growth. It fits another passage really well that he, he shares with the church in Corinth, church in a very similar situation, a church that was very rich, that was maybe tempted to just focus on all the things that the world could offer. And, and he says this, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Every, anyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Paul, in this context, is probably sat there watching some kind of athletic competition. You can picture him sort of taking notes for his letter. He's maybe sort of outlining it to somebody else, and they're writing for it. And he's picturing this idea that these games, these uh, Greek games, Roman games, they all came with a prize. And it doesn't sound on the surface like a particularly great one. The winner would get a crown of laurel leaves. That would be their great prize. Now, they may get some patronage as well. They may get celebrated in some other way. But this, this was what they were chasing after. And Paul starts to talk about if, if a runner wants to win this prize, they have to do very strict things to make sure that they get there. In some ways, when you look at Paul's letter on the surface, just this little snippet that we're just reading, we're in the, the realms of self-help. I, I went on Amazon and found that right now you can get 70,000 plus different books on self-help. It is a huge market, millions and millions of dollars spent on, and how can I live better? And, and I just loved some of the, the titles that you find. The Ambition Handbook, a guide for ambitious persons. If any of you are ambitious, go and grab this book apparently and it will help you. Uh, a Year of Positive Thinking, Daily Inspiration, Wisdom and Courage. If you can just think better, uh, then you'll be better. Uh, and how about this one? Quiet Mind, Epic Life. If you have a quiet mind, your life will be epic. And epic is like a buzzword. For today, there's all these books that enable you to move further on your journey 
to grow. And to a certain degree, that is true. I, I stole this quote, and I don't like quoting other pastors because it always feels like this is my job to make these quotes. And, but, but sometimes they're just so good, you feel like I'm, I'm going to leave it exactly as it is. This is from a pastor called Andy Stanley. Everybody ends up somewhere. A few people end up somewhere on purpose. There is truth to this idea that actually if you want to grow, you have to be intentional about it, and that's okay. If you're not following Jesus right now, uh, that's, that's a good thing for you to know. Growing on purpose is a great goal. This is Mr. Tom Brady, the classic Michigan man. I refuse to show him in a Patriots uniform or anything like that, and I'll, I'll be watching him passionately this afternoon because I love Tom. He was a Michigan guy. Uh, but Tom Brady is one of those classic stories about people that decided they wanted to be somewhere. He was drafted in the sixth round, not considered a great prospect particularly. This is what Mel Kuyper, the, the famous scouting guy, said about him. At the pro level, his lack of mobility could surface as a problem, and it will be interesting to see how he fares when forced to take chances down the field. Sure, he doesn't have the total package of skills, but you have to be impressed with his level of performance this past season against Notre Dame. It's like damning with faint praise. He's okay. Not, not bad, like, sure, yeah, he's had a couple of good games. This is like the way that this guy was talked about, and, and, but, but to Tom Brady, that didn't stop him. He has a list of every quarterback that was drafted in front of him. He can tell you where they were drafted and who drafted them and all of those details because he knew he wanted to be great. And so he decided to chase after it. He is like a, a, a caricature or a principle that we can follow. And we think about Paul's letter where he says about the, the runner that wants to win. He has to lay down everything and he has to chase after it. That's who Tom Brady is. First person in the building, last to leave in the evening, just working, working, working. Everything centers around. He wants to be great. And it seems like Paul says that if you want to do that, you can. The, there is a choice there is a decision to grow on purpose in that respect. But, but what Paul would say to us is this. If you chase after that, you might find you're disappointed in the end. You might find that there's something missing, that the laurel leaves maybe don't last as long as you thought they were going to last. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Everyone who wants to be Tom Brady works and he works and he works. They do it to get a crown or... 17 Super Bowl rings or whatever he's rocking on his hand right now. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. In Paul's mind, you can achieve some great things. But ultimately, if you, want to, if you achieve them, you may find that they just don't last in the way that you thought they were going to last. And Paul's sort of goal for us would be this, turn your attention to something that does last. Turn your attention to something that is bigger than that. That's exactly what he did when he laid aside all the Jewish stuff. And he said, no, this is what I'm running after. I'm running after this crown of life. The laurel leaves don't fade on this crown. I want to know Christ. This is now for him. This is his central goal. I just want to know Jesus. I'm not interested in all of the other stuff. I just want to know Jesus, yes to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And this is the last part of that little letter, this letter to the, to the Philippians that we're focusing on today. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's this purpose that we can chase after. We can choose to, grow, to go somewhere on, or end up somewhere on purpose. 
But ultimately, choosing to follow Jesus, according to this writer Paul, is a bigger thing. It lasts forever. So maybe when we talk about living gratitude and choose to gather, instead of just grow, maybe I'd add this. Maybe it's grow like Jesus. Maybe it's becoming more like him, chasing after him, becoming closer to him. But this raises a tension. Because some of you who have been in church for a while know that there's this whole conversation about, well, well, who makes that happen? Who does the work? Who makes you and I like Jesus? If we decide that's what we want, is that a me-driven thing? Do I have to make that happen? Or is that like an organic thing that's going to happen naturally over time? Think about growth in an organic sense. You have a plant, and to a certain degree, it grows without you doing much at all. It has this thing, that seed that sparks up. There's, there's environmental things that need to be there, but it... It grows by itself. And Paul, I would say, he seems a little bit confused. I'm not sure he knows exactly who does the work either. Look at this little verse from Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, do not only in my presence, but now, only, now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation, guys. For it is God who works in you, to will and purpose, to, in you to will, and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Which is it? Should you be working? Should you be trying to work this thing out? Should I be trying to work this thing out? Or is it, that God, is it God that works in us? He seems like he's not particularly sure. This was his opening to the letter that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Whose responsibility is it? Are you supposed to make something happen in your life? Am I supposed to make myself more like Jesus? Or is this something that's supposed to come out of us or grow out of us? And is it supposed to be organic? And maybe the answer is just simply this. Maybe it's both and, not either or. See, this is the starting point of life with Jesus. And if you've never grasped this, this is an incredible, incredible truth. So the, the Bible uses this word metamorphosis about life with Jesus. It is as spectacular as when a caterpillar goes into its cocoon and it comes out as a butterfly. Now, one of the things I, I sometimes wonder is if we realize as people just how spectacular that is. This caterpillar goes into a cocoon, as I understand it. I'm not hugely scientific, but it literally breaks down. Its whole body disintegrates into almost nothingness. And then it's reformed as something completely different. It's not that there's the butterfly inside and it grows out. No, the whole thing starts from scratch. It is no less spectacular than if a mouse went into a little thing and came out as a hummingbird. That is how ridiculously incredible what a caterpillar does in becoming a butterfly. And that's the language that the Bible chooses to use when it starts to talk about what has happened to you and I when and if we choose to follow Jesus. You became a different person. You were one way, and now you are something else. It happened instantaneously. It was God that did it. It wasn't you. You were just responding. That is the supernatural thing that has taken place. On one hand, the work is God's. But then we can't discount the fact that Paul has talked about things like laying off every weight, making sure that you're going into training, making sure that you're working towards this goal that God has given you. And, and when we look back at Jesus' life, the same is true as well. This is a verse from Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It's one of those fun little kind of gap verses in the Bible 
The verse before this, Jesus is, is a small child, and in the next verse, he's going to be uh, an adult. Uh, and so there's this sudden movement between like one little verse, he suddenly grows up. But it says this to us. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now Luke has used the word grow a couple of times already, in chapter one and earlier in chapter two. And when he's done it, he's used a word for grow in Greek that is very organic. He's talked about natural growth, this, this idea that, like a plant, it springs up and it does its thing. You don't have to do anything. Can you improve the growth? Yes, but it does it naturally. And then in this, word, this verse, he's going to use a completely different word, a word that hardly appears anywhere else in literature. He's going to use this word, procopton. Its literal meaning is this. It is to beat a pathway forward. It is to choose to grow. It's not organic. Now, it's important to understand here some big-time wrestling. For those of you that are around my age, 30, sort of mid-30s, maybe you remember 1990s wrestling. This was an awesome season to be alive. There were all these great characters, Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior, all these guys doing their thing, and it was fabulous. And what they seemed to have got in their heads was this. They had to pretend all of these guys doing wrestling really had other jobs because wrestling didn't seem serious enough. So they're always like stock car racers that had decided to leave the stock car circuit to chase glory on the professional wrestling scene, and they took this very seriously. And these are two characters called the Bushwhackers. I never knew what bushwhacking meant. I was just oblivious. I just took these characters at face value. They just were a little goofy, uh, but, but I actually now know what it is. It is Procopton. That is bushwhacking. It is to have a forest in front of you, to have a wilderness, and it is to beat your way through it. It's actually become a popular trend out where I used to live in upstate New York. Now, I'm, I'm on board with Denver. I will say this, the, the Denver mountains are vastly superior to the Adirondacks. I'm, I'm giving you that. But there is some joy in the Adirondacks as well. Very cold, very windy, all those different things, very icy. The skiing is bad. You don't need to go there when you live in Denver. Just stay where you are. But the quote was about the Adirondacks, so I'm going to keep it about the Adirondacks. Bushwhacking has become this art form that people have started to perfect where they have started to chase places that aren't really on the map. What the description was was this, or, or the reason for it was this. There are more great places to go than there are trails to get you there. There are more great places to go than there are trails to get you there. And so if you want to experience these incredible things, you have to go, you have to beat, blaze your own trail. I do this with my kids sometimes. We call it blazing a trail. We go out somewhere and we just we go off the path and we're just, we're just going to find something fun. This is the language that Luke chooses to use about Jesus growing in wisdom and favor with God and man. It is intentional growth. And Paul's language will be, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. I'm trying to do the Jesus thing. He says to us, you follow, you follow me as I follow Jesus. Jesus beat a trail. It seems like he grew on purpose. The tension point, I think, within the church is this, that we've, we've had this language for years that works are bad and grace is good. And there is some truth in that, of course. If you're working to earn something, that isn't what the Christian life is about. It is a gift. When Jesus called you to him, he gave you new life as a gift. That's the, the metamorphosis. The caterpillar becomes a butterfly. The mouse in our story literally becomes a hummingbird. That happened to you. But that doesn't change the fact that you and I get called to choose to grow on purpose. 
We get to choose to be the trail, to, to follow Jesus on that journey he has for us. And what I would say is there are more great places than there are trails to take you there. There is a decision to say, I am going to follow Jesus. I am going to pursue him, and I am going to become what he has for me to become. And this is a great Dallas Willard quote that kind of helps us sort of frame that a little bit. What he said is this, grace, it isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. There's nothing wrong with working in the sense of, I want to grow more like Jesus. It doesn't earn you anything. It's not something that you're doing to earn some kind of salvation, heaven when you die or anything else, but, but there is this truth that it's not opposed to effort. You can choose to grow on purpose. I would say maybe, maybe this is good language. Because of God's good work in you, you can grow on purpose with him. We can take all of the hardships of 2020 and choose to focus them on growing in Jesus. We can take those resources that we talked about and choose to focus that time, that energy, those talents, that wealth on growing like Jesus. That is there for us. But I would say this. A good question to ask is, who supplies the power for you to do that? Who are you relying on as you seek to do that? Does your spiritual life your following of Jesus, or whatever journey you're on right now, is it encapsulated more by this photo or this one? This one or this one? This one or this one? You look at the difference between the two, both are work. Sailing is work. But sailing is about harnessing a greater power. It is about taking the power of the wind and using it. Whereas rowing is simply about using your own energy and your force to get you somewhere. And when we think about taking those two things together, the truth that God works in us, and we get to work out what he has given us as we grow on purpose. The truth is that you, you, you know, you get to choose, but you have to choose to use the power that God supplies. Right now, you cannot follow Jesus even if you try really, really hard outside of his life in you. It's not just about effort. It's about his work in you and harnessing the power he gives to grow intentionally. Maybe I would tweak it to say this. Yes, we are growing like Jesus, but we're going to choose to live in gratitude, choose to gather, but also to grow on purpose. And so my question for you is, how might God be growing you this year? How might, in the midst of those resources, might he be working in you? Because what I have found to be true about myself is this. I am lazy by nature. I'm an Enneagram 7, for those of you that are Enneagram people. What that means is Enneagram 7s like happiness. That's what we enjoy. So I started doing CrossFit for a while, and I found it hard, as I expected that I would. The first two weeks were miserable. I hated it. But what I realized is after a while, things got easier, but then I learned a deep, dark secret about myself, and maybe it's true of you as well. I actually, at my heart, just want the gym to be easy. I want to get to a point where I'm fairly physically fit, that I can go and do a workout and not have to try very hard. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to be the last to finish. So everything that I did with CrossFit was to manipulate the system. If the workout was finishing about finishing first, I would make the weights as light as I possibly could so I wasn't the last to finish. If the workout finished at a set time, I knew that I could lift heavier weights and just do less reps than everybody else. I was manipulating the system to look good, and I had no real interest in growth. I just wanted to stay where I was. 
And yet one of the things we learn about life is this, right? Things that stretch us are good for us. If 2020 stretched you, it may have been hard, it may have been a difficult journey, but the stretching part was good. You become someone else in that journey of stretching. So my question for you, in amongst all that conversation about resources, about time and energy, and about wealth and giftings, where might God be stretching you this year? What new thing might he be calling you to do? Maybe he's calling you into a journey with your time to spend more time on spiritual disciplines. Maybe prayer has been a struggle for you. Maybe you need to find some new ways to be able to partner with God to take his power, but use that to to spend some time in prayer. Maybe you start by taking a walk and praying at the same time. Maybe it's a practice of spending some time in silence. I hate silence, but it's so good for me when I do it. Maybe you've never taken a challenge to read the Bible or memorize passages of Scripture. Maybe that is something that you're called to do this year. It's a stretching experience that will lead you down a journey of growth. Maybe you've got into a habit, and I find this by nature as well, that I I manage my money in a very selfish way. And maybe God is calling you into all these wonderful avenues that you can choose to give, and he's calling you to stretch and think about how you use your money to make the world a better place. Some of that might involve giving to South for the first time as as a partner here, but some of it might just involve giving to different wonderful organizations all around the world. Maybe you've got talents and gifts that you've just hidden dormant, and, and the call is to stretch and to use them in a new way in 2021. Maybe it's to intentionally put yourself in places that will stretch you. Because growing is good. It starts with God's gift and God's work in us. But we, you and I, we get to choose to grow on purpose. And I love how Paul finishes this passage that we just read. It's like Paul is the ultimate, is the ultimate sort of like relater. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let's live up to what we have already attained. Feels like Paul would do really well in 2021 with all the chaos. I always thought of him as being very hard line and decided on his opinions. But in this, he's like, it's okay. If you disagree with me, I can handle it. God will show you in the end. Maybe that's something that we can learn too, as a little aside. Somehow we need to learn to figure out that people might think differently. How will you grow on purpose in 2021? How might God be stretching you? If God is working in your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give online at southfellowship.org/give or on the South Fellowship Church app. Thanks for listening, South family. Have a great rest of your day.